Welcome back to another episode of Backlash Podcast. This week we are going to talk to Dan Groppengeiser from Grops Guide Service out of northern Wisconsin, primarily around the Rhinelander area, and talk a little bit about, I don't know, a variety of topics. Choosing lakes, talk a little bit about trolling, and Dan will offer up one tip to help you catch more muskies this year. So that's kind of how we're going to start off April. Brad's back from his super secret mission, so I got Brad Hoppy with Muskie Mayhem Tackle helping me out this week, as per usual. And we're going to just talk a little bit about muskie fishing, Brad. You know, you had a little taste of stuff recently, and things are definitely moving somewhat in the right direction, although slowly the weather here in the Midwest has been far from spectacular. But we're getting through it. It'll be musky season before you know it. Whether, whether we move there slowly or quickly, it's going to eventually show up. Yeah, well, you know the whole deal here, Jeff. I mean... In the Midwest, you never know what's going to happen with the weather. Mother Nature has got her um, her talons in deep, and she's uh, she's shown us that uh, we can still have snow throughout the, the month of April. So, you know, at the end of the day, we're going to get through this, and it's going to all spring upon us really, really quick. It's, it's Sunday night, you know, before the Wednesday before we put this out, and we're going to get snow tonight, and so... I don't know what does that make us April third, but yeah, definitely, it, it's it's been a tougher spring, but that's all right. We'll get through it. We'll get back musky fishing. So, Brad, anything new with musky mayhem tackle going on these days? Well, I, I you know nothing really truly new. Um, what we're doing is basically just uh, putting our heads down, getting out the orders. You know, the exciting part is is that we're coming into a new season, and I think as time progresses here. We're going to calm down a little bit, and we're going to get back into that fishing season. That's for sure. If you're looking for gear for this next fishing season, check out TeamRhinoOutdoors.com. We're your source for, we'll say, custom musky gear, but we have pretty much everything these days. Not Well, not technically everything, but we're working our way towards it. We're still adding more inventory. We're still going through inventory. So if there's certain things you're hoping that maybe you would see on the website, we're still going through stuff that has been packed up for a couple of weeks from shows. Uh, we're probably about 75% through. So we got a few things to do. And then I got to have the daunting task of finishing up my list of which seems like never ending through the course of the winter. It's just been unreal. But anyways, we're trudging through, we're getting things uploaded. And if you also need gear, check out Musky Mayhem Tackle. Brad, why don't you talk a little bit about Musky Mayhem Tackle? What can I say, Jeff? I mean, ultimately, we're the uh, the originators of a flash brew uh, bucktail and the big bladed baits. And uh, if you have an interest in that, you can definitely check us out on muskymayhemtackle.com, as well as our Musky Mayhem Tackle uh, YouTube channel and uh, Instagram and Facebook. All right, Brad, I don't have anything else to add to this intro, so let's uh, dial up that conversation with Dan. Our guest tonight is Dan Groppengeiser with Grops Guide Service. And Dan primarily guides out of northern Wisconsin. We'll say like the northeast side. Is that right, Dan? Yeah, basically north northeast, uh, north central from the Tomahawk area all the way up to Boulder. And then my, my home region is the Rhineland area. So within dart throwing distance, we've got multiple lakes that we can fish on. Awesome bodies of water that are right in many people's backyards. So great vacation areas too. Um, we've got great resorts in the Rhinelander, Tomahawk area. Monaco is really great too. So 
yeah, really fortunate to be able to live and fish in the region that I, I'm at. Absolutely. I know that area very well. I mean, I'm only a little bit south of you pretty much every weekend that the weather is at least mildly decent. Sometimes if the weather looks like it's going to be junky all, all weekend, we'll we'll stay home and get a little bit of work done, get caught up on a few other things. But if the weather is going to be good and the kids can do a little swimming and I can do a little fishing, we pretty much head up that area. Yeah, it's great up here. There, even if you are up, you know, say you're on vacation, there are other things that you can do too. The area has so much to offer. If you want to go go-karting, you can do that. A lot of golfing areas. Great restaurants in the area, too. Tomahawk's got really great restaurants. Rhinelander's got really amazing restaurants, too. There's no limit for things to do around here in the summertime. Spring, great area to be in, too. So we kind of jumped ahead a little bit, talked a little bit about where you're guiding, but why don't you give everybody a background kind of what got you into musky fishing, what got you into fishing, and talk a little bit about your guide service, because I know it sounds like you're, you know, you're still not a full-time guide, but I think that's by design, right? Yeah, that's that unfortunate truth. They keep paying me to come to work, and I just keep going there, but, you know, I, I get four weeks of vacation, and that's, everything gets based towards fishing. Um, whether I'm guiding or going to sports shows or things like that, that's where, where it all goes to right now. One day, maybe I'll have to make that full on decision. It was darn close this year, but it just didn't quite happen yet. So things you got to do to make sure that the lights are on at home. Guiding definitely helps everything else out though. You know, I put a lot of money back into the boat, put a lot of money back into all my equipment. I make sure that, you know, people are using top notch stuff. That's really what it comes down to when they hire me, that they're comfortable, the equipment is great, and uh, if something breaks, I can hand them another rod and reel and just keep on going. So that's kind of how my philosophy on the guiding is. You know, and I'll say, and, and I'm sure Brad will agree with this, that's actually not a terrible way to go. You know, Brad's talked about it. I think on last week's podcast, we talked a little bit about it and how it's always good to have a little backup deal, you know, a little, I mean, have this be a side hustle until, you know, you absolutely need to make a decision. I mean, heck, you know, with the team Rhino thing, I've talked about it numerous times on the podcast. I still, I'm still an electrician. I still wire. I mean, I should have, I should have probably quit a while ago, but I haven't. And I mean, for whatever reason, I guess part part of it's because I'm self-employed there and it feels like I'm quitting on myself and, as much blood, sweat, and tears as I put into building this bait business, I put that same amount of effort into building the electrical business. So for me, it's hard to just, you know, walk away and be like, all right, I'm done. And I have a lot of good, yeah. you know, good relationships and friendships from the electrical side too that, you know, it's, it, like I said, it's hard for me just to be like, yeah, all right, it's over. I'm done. I'm just, I'm a bait, I'm a bait guy now. Even though I do have, yeah. I do have a buddy of mine that does give me a hard time. And he's like, you should, probably shouldn't even call yourself an electrician anymore. So, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it, it uh I'm just really fortunate that you know I'm able to guide. I get a lot of support, friends, family, my wife supports the whole thing. Um if it wasn't for her, and she was the one that actually mentioned to me, you know, hey, you're out fishing a lot anyways and you're catching a lot of fish right now, why not give this a shot? Thank God for her, otherwise I wouldn't have been able to do it at all. Definitely always good to have the support of a uh, of a good woman behind you. I'd say, Brad, you're probably yeah. in the same spot. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you know, the bottom line is for somebody that wants to start guiding, definitely have a good job that allows you to have that happen. And second of all, having uh, a family that stands up and supports you from the backside, you couldn't ask for any better program. 
Exactly. So Dan, we kind of skipped over it a little bit. Why muskies? You know, I mean, with everything that's out there to to fish for, and especially in the area that you're in, you're not really exactly pigeonholed into muskies, but what is it about the muskie that makes you have to want to go out and chase it day after day after day? Well, what really got my start was I, I start I was fishing ever since I could remember. I was one of the little kids that was out running around on the ice, you know, playing, doing whatever. I'd wait until the fish started biting and then I'd start fishing with my dad. You know, he would always give me a hard time for that. But what really got me started though was my dad. He worked at the Rhinelander mill and then on his, his side hustle or his side gig, he would uh, trap minnows in the spring. So basically he made all his own minnow traps, trap minnows, and then sold them at the house. And then also sold them at the bait shops and Rhinelander and other locations too. So this was back in the late seventies, even before I was born, Bob's sports shop, Larson's, uh, Hilgers would actually stop by too. They would actually grab like pails and pails and pails of minnows and they were all wild minnows. So they're actually, you know, probably some of the best that you could get. They weren't farm raised at all. You know, so I, I fished trout with them. I fished crappies. I did all that stuff. And then, uh, a new bait shop came into town late, late eighties. And, uh, just so happened that the individuals that owned that, they were guiding a lot down where, where your campers at too. So, uh, <laughs> as a younger kid, I started seeing all the photos and stuff. Started mentioning my dad, you know, Hey, I kind of want to, you know, give that a shot. We didn't have a big boat or nothing. So I, I started out of a 17 foot canoe with him paddling me around. We'd stop in, we'd drop minnows off and it was, uh, I think it was the second location of this bait shop rolled up and here's a new boat. And it was, uh, Raleigh and Helen Bessett when they first moved up and opened up Raleigh and Helen's. And basically he kind of turned the, the gears even more on me too. So having the, the fishing background and then seeing, you know, things progressing in the musky world itself. Like I said, we started out of a canoe my dad would just paddle me around. We'd pitch all the shorelines and, you know, I was told by a lot of the old timers too, that, you know, you only need three baits. You need a, a black suet, a black bucktail and a surface bait. And that's pretty much what, what I ran my first time out. Didn't have any fancy rods or reels. We had, uh, I think one of the guys that my dad worked with had a 500 Abu Garcia and another guy had like this cheap trolling rod from, Lake Michigan. That was my musky setup. 36 pound Dacron that basically if you got a backlash, you'd have to cut it out. <laughs> Every time you'd go out fishing, you'd have to cut like three feet of line off. Otherwise you'd lose your bucktail or your surface bait because it would nick it up so bad. But yeah, my, my first time out, we always started at the boat launch because there was no big, there was no motor to fire up. Probably 30 feet down, I had a fish come sharking in with the tail fin out of the water on a topper stopper. And ever since then, I've been hooked. I it, it got into my blood, and I just never could shake it. So, yeah, it's it's amazing at how things have transitioned even, you know, the catch and release. There wasn't much catch and release. I mean, I started at age 12, which would have been like 89, 90. And now I've got 30 years of muskie fishing that I've participated in. So, but that's that's the long and short of it. A lot of the guys that my dad worked with at the mill, they musky fished also. So I got to hear the stories from them. 
one of the individuals was a guide also. So I got to fish with him on the Boom Lake chain out of a Tuffy. Tuffies were like one of the top of the line boats at the time back then. If you didn't have a Tuffy, it was, you know, you needed to get a Tuffy. But so that's about where that goes on that one. Well, back in the day, you speaking of the Tuffy, you know, that uh, Tuffy Esox Magnum, that thing was like the boat. It still is. It was the boat. It was. Um, he had a Marauder. So his Marauder had a 75 horse Mariner jet on it. So he fished a lot of rivers around here. It was kind of squirrely riding around in glass though, because if you hit something, you knew it. It wasn't like tin. <laughs> Brad, I heard it. He says rivers up by me, <laughs> and he was talking about a jet boat. So that's all good, right there. <laughs> that's your dream, Jeff. You just need to make that dream come true. Someday it'll happen. I don't know when, but it will. Well, jets are fun. I'm I'm fortunate where uh, I do have two boats. I've got a 16 foot Sea Arc with a 40 horse jet on it, and then my Ranger with a two and a quarter on it. So even if it's too hot out, or if I have no bookings, I just want to get away. I can get on some rivers around here and it changes everything other than the bugs get really bad. So, all right. So Dan, we, you know, we kind of touched there a little bit about rivers. That's not really the whole, the whole deal we want to talk about today. So, you know, obviously up by you troll, I want to talk about trolling a little bit because I feel like it's underutilized tool up in the North woods yet. And I actually feel in, in musky fishing in general, it's kind of got the stigma, like it's cheating or it's whatever. And I know that's probably not your primary tactic when you're up there because most guys are still into casting. I mean, that's the way they want to catch them. I'm sure most of your clients, that's the way they want to do it. But, you know, there ha- there are times where a trolling pattern can probably save the day or it can, you know, get, you know, save the day. But it also can be sometimes like that is the pattern. That's where they are. They're not is easily accessible to casting. So it's, it's still a technique that I feel like it's important to, you know, to rely on occasionally, but let's talk about that up there. You know, you only have one line. So, well, I mean, with you, you can fish up to three if you have clients in, in the boat, but for a lot of anglers, solo angler, they go out, they only get one line. Let's talk about, you know, how you kind of develop a trolling pattern, why you decide to troll overcast on certain days. Like you had said about when I have clients, that, that does give me the, the three three lines max, which is great because then you can at least run, you know, two planer boards and one down rod. A lot of the trolling up here, a lot of people were worried that it was really going to hurt the fisheries, you know, and some guys did really well right out of the gates. A lot of guys didn't do that well out of the gates. And it depends on each year too. Uh, if it's super hot, you know, you'll drive a lot of fish out a little bit deeper. As the season starts out, I'll take and I'll troll adjacent to the spawning areas, you know, the, those deeper basins. If it's just one line, I'm going to, I'm probably just going to downrod it or depending on boat traffic, downrodding is great. But if I can use a board and get it out just a little bit further from the boat, that's good too. I'm not putting a ton of line out. I'm probably only putting, say, 8 to 10 feet of line out max because those fish are suspended and recovering from spawn. So basically, I'll I'll just work my edges out from where I'm casting and then, you know, continue a little bit further and crisscross. And if nothing's going on that bait, I'll switch it out. If I'm fortunate and I'm guiding, then, you know, I'll just keep working. I'll kind of grid it out and then keep working the areas and then keep switching baits. Like I said, I'm not putting a ton of line out. 
right out of the gates at the beginning of the year. As things progress, though, then I'll start looking for my bait pods. You know, say uh, that July, August time, I'm going to be out searching bait pods, making sure that I'm working them, you know, work them thoroughly, work the points, work the bars and stuff. Don't be afraid of grinding. Another good pattern that I ran across the last couple of years is even shallow short lining. So if you've got um, safety pin spinners, something that's going to be able to handle the trolling and the shock from a, a muskie, I'll troll those like right next to the boat. And, you know, that's like three, four feet of line out. Regular size bucktails you can run too. You just got to make sure that you're watching so that they don't wrap up your line. Because if you do get a hit, when your line goes tight, it'll actually snap because it's so twisted up. Those are some of the patterns that I use the beginning of the year, middle of the year. And then, of course, late season when it gets too cold and I'm not, I don't want to cast anymore. Suckers are kind of unavailable. It's just too darn cold out. That's when I'll actually start chasing fish up on like Cisco lakes. So anything that's got Cisco smelt, some lakes are smaller Cisco's, but that's when I'm running a lot of matlocks. It's phenomenal. You can go all day and go all day and go all day for that one bite. But when you do get that one bite, it's amazing. Another thing I'll do is fish lakes, clear bodies of water that get a lot of boat traffic. At that time of year, when it's super cold out, there's no boats out. If it's a crappie, perch, walleye pattern lake, I'll take and I'll troll those matlocks too, but obviously different color patterns like a perch pattern or a a walleye pattern. So that time of the year, you're going to see a lot of bait that actually stacks up on bars or points. They'll kind of be on that secondary transition where it's mud to sand. And I'm going to take that first, if I have a full day and we're, we're on a trolling trip, I'll take that first hour to two hours searching the bait. And then I'll, I'll kind of grid it out and work those areas after I, I find my bait. It's not a surefire thing. You, it, it's still Kind of like casting, you might just contact one or two fish during the day. It's going to be the same way when you convert it over to trolling. You've got your base in the water at all times, unless you're cleaning stuff or cleaning weeds or whatever. But it's a great thing. But like you had said, not everybody likes to do it. I ask, I'll always ask, hey, do you guys mind if we troll? Some guys are like, no, I just want to cast. But it's a great break from the day, too. So, Dan, I find it interesting. You talked about the short lining deal up in, you know, northern Wisconsin. Definitely not something that I think a lot of, you know, people do. Is that something, you know, I know like over on the East Coast, you know, Ohio, Pennsylvania, they like to crank up the speed. Is that something that you like to put a, you know, a significant amount of speed on? Or are you still trolling in that, we'll call it, you know, the Wisconsin 3.2, 3.4? Yeah, 3.4 is probably my max. Sometimes I'll... You know, when when you make your turns, you're going to pick up your speed, but like that 2.8 to 3.4 is my, my common ground. And w- when I'm saying that shoreline trolling, I started doing that, oh, let's see. Uh, it's got to be eight years ago. I was fishing early season across the border up in the UP. Obviously, I, I don't guide up there because we, we can't guide up there. I got onto a bite. We were catching them on crankbaits, and all of a sudden the fish weren't following, they weren't biting anymore. So I started pulling these cranks, a lot of baby depth raters, you know, the small six inches, the five inch slammers, but you can literally 
you put your rod in the water, get it, get the tip in, and you've only got four feet of line out. You can watch these fish come up and come off the baits. So, I mean, a lot of people think that that motor, I mean, they'll, they'll bite right next to the kicker motor too. You make a turn, they come out of nowhere and they eat. So that's where I started like going, okay, once this opens up in our state, this is going to be awesome. And like in the summertime, I'll burn right on the weed edges. I'll follow the right, right along the weed edges and I'll dip into them too. Just as long as I can get up and pick the rod up and clean them, you know, pick up a lot of fish that you would never think would come up that close to the boat. You know, for like the beginning angler, let's talk a little bit about drag settings. I know it's something that I think, I think a lot of people think you need to have your drag a lot tighter. Is that, is that typically how you run or, I mean, are you, first off, are you running braid or are you running mono? And then second of all, like how tight are you putting your drag? Cause typically when I'm running it and I'm running braid and my drag is, I would say like moderately tight, but not, I mean, you can easily pull line out on it. Yeah. I set mine up so that when I'm so early season, I don't have a whole lot of drag on them cause I'm running premier glass musky rods, the, the St. Croix ones. So that, that gives a lot of flex there. I'm running hundred pound, because I, I convert those rods over to my sucker rods, so I, I continuously use the same rods. But I've got enough drag on there that, you know, I'll wrap it around my hand and give it a good yank so that it starts clicking. I don't want to rip those hooks out of those fishes' mouths because, I mean, they're so close to the boat. They come out of the water, and, you know, you want to have that zip, 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 zip as it's going and fighting. Because the first thing they want to do is open their mouth up and just start shaking. I know guys that do run mono. I just never, I figured I, I've got it on there. I'll just keep with that pattern of, of line. I run three foot, hundred pound fluorocarbon leaders too. It doesn't give a whole lot of stretch, but it's that visibility too. You don't really see anything in the water. But then again, by the time they hit it, it's already too late. They come on it. If they're going to eat, they're going to eat. They're not too worried about a leader. You know, in northern Wisconsin, you always hear small baits, blah, blah, blah. But are you running, uh, you know, you said that you're running Supernatural. Are you running 10s? Are you running 12s as well? I'm running 10s. I've got a ton of 10s. I've got one 13-inch, which is a headlock. I can't mix and match those very well, but 10s just run well for me. I've caught quite a few fish on 10s. A lot of our Cisco's aren't super big. You know, I kind of match that length of the Cisco's. If we had like Lake of the Woods size Cisco's where they go that 20 inches or even bigger, then I'd probably upsize to the 13s or the 12s. You know, I'd, I'd go as big as I possibly could. Yeah, it makes total sense. I mean, I, it's kind of interesting. Last fall, I went to um, Nebraska. Everything everybody down there said you got to use four to six, maybe eight inch baits. And guess what? We put on 12 inch headlocks and we ended up getting some fish. So oh, you know, wow. it's, it's one of them deals that people said, you're not going to get it done, but we did. And I, I think sometimes just sticking out, you know, making something different can a lot of times yeah. catch those fish. So that was my question. I mean, I was just kind of curious on, on what you're doing up there. I guess that kind of rolls into like, sucker size too like when it comes to late fall the largest suckers that i'll run is like 16 inches because sometimes they just want that snack but you know you could pull a 24 inch sucker around and possibly catch a 40 inch muskie so i can definitely see uh 
<laughs> I can see upgrading a couple sizes for sure. Cause there are those days where we go out, we mark all kinds of bait and go through them. You'll see muskies in them and they're not eating 10 inches. So yeah, it's a, it's a good, uh, good idea to change things up too. Good stuff. I mean, I, that's why I was asking because, uh, if anybody would know you would, you know, you know how it is though. I mean, some of those days, You'll catch them on four inch baits, though, obviously earlier in the season, but it's definitely, uh, I kind of look at it. I did a lot of studying with Gelb being in the area and then reading his book. I don't go as far as he does as to trying to catch the, the bait fish with a jig pole over the side, but you know, I kind of look at them on the, the graph and go, okay, they're this size or they're this size. And now with today's electronics, you can almost kind of pinpoint how big the bait fish are yeah i mean think about where we are today with uh electronics and everything else just oh, the data yeah. that you can research and what have you um we have everything at our fingertips you know what i mean and it, it truly has made a huge difference and uh i would agree with you completely i mean you got to try some of that stuff and mix in a little bit of crazy stuff and see what ends up happening and works best for you oh yeah you got nothing else to lose, especially if the pattern kind of fell apart for that week or those couple days in a row. Trying something different, you can go from zero to hero and have a fish in the bag. So that, that's probably the funnest thing about this sport is it's not always the same year in and year out. It changes new baits every year. You know, these, these fish aren't seeing stuff. But one of the things that I've noticed is going back to older style baits has really been a you know big factor because they get used, they get conditioned, and then all of a sudden you reintroduce something that you used to fish with all the time years ago, and all of a sudden, boom, you're putting fish in the bag. So it's pretty amazing. Yeah, it's that whole, you know, what's old is new again, and it kind yeah. of circulates a little bit. You know, with that being said, we'll kind of talk a little bit about one of Brad's baits for a minute then. Okay, so you talked about like, you know, sometimes that stuff that was older, it becomes new again or becomes, you know, fish start to react to it because they haven't seen it in a while. That's kind of the way I feel a little bit about the double cowgirl. You know, obviously when Mayhem broke onto the scene, everybody was throwing them. But nowadays it seems as though they're, you know, not as many people are throwing those big double tens again. Is that something that you've played around with at all in recent seasons, you know, some of those bigger bladed bucktails or you sticking with your, you know, your typical double eight showgirl size stuff up by you. Eights, nines and tens, uh, tens all run a little bit later in the season, I guess that, that August, September, but usually it's eights and nines or single blades, a lot of single blades. You don't have the guys pounding those until a little bit later in the season. A lot of fish have come into the boat with double tens though when i started getting on those and really started using them it was like holy cow i mean these fish came came from out of nowhere we're unfortunately you know a little bit later after that you know you guys had them for how many years and then all of a sudden boom everybody had them so it changed musky fishing for sure well you know so brad i guess what i I guess with you know the double 10 thing i don't mean to make it an infomercial but I know what I sell, and we don't sell tons of cowgirls. I know that's probably your bait of choice. You've talked about it on the podcast numerous times, and it just makes me wonder. Like, I'm, 
you know, I've talked about it time and time again on the podcast. We're just trying to get people to look outside the box, look outside of what they always do. You know, if you're always throwing, you know, double eights or, you know, the showgirls or whatever, yes, you might pick up a fish, but if you, if you try something a little bit different and you try those double tens when they're not getting used, and I know in Northern Wisconsin, they aren't getting used that often, you might get different results. Yeah. I, I think a lot of this is, it's so comical because at some point throughout the history, I mean, we've been around for 18 years. At some point, people thought, man, everybody's throwing double cowgirls. And I don't know if that's the case, right? I mean, things have changed in the last 18 years. And what I can tell you is, is that when I throw them on a daily basis, I'm catching fish on them. It's the original big bladed flashaboo bait. Um, we were the first to come out with flashaboo. And it's still working today, and it's always going to remain a staple. It's kind of like what we talked about with Supernatural here a couple weeks ago, right? So it's a staple. It definitely tricks fish. And uh, if you're not using them and utilizing them, guess what? You're missing out. Yeah. And honestly, the biggest thing with those bucktails is you have to be ready, and you have to be able to read those fish when they come in. We've won a couple tournaments, the Hodeg Challenge. We won that one year, the year prior to, we had it until the last 10 minutes. And those fish, and when they're coming in on nines, tens, or the DS4s, the, the moons, you have to be able to read those fish and make that change, you know, whether it be your direction at the boat or your hook set on them so that you don't pull the hooks out of their mouths. There's a lot of times that I see that in the boat, and it happens. It, it happens to new people. They freeze up. You've got to be able to at least pull it into the boat or pull it back towards its tail. Our fish, yeah, we don't have the spotted strain, but our fish do eat. We catch a lot of fish on the eights up here. Yeah, I would say that's probably, <laughs> seems like actually my daughter has the one that's always having the abilities to try to, she has the fish come in and hit her on the eight. I usually, for whatever reason, I don't know, when I catch them, they hit out and, you know, it's like first three cranks. But with her, it's like, Every single one of every single time she has a fish, it's it wants to hit her at the boat. It's unbelievable, but I yeah. don't know if it's just maybe you know inexperience. You know, you don't impart as many triggers throughout the course of the retrieve. But it's, sometimes it's just you know time of day. It's just the day of the week, whatever. I mean, some fish are are that way, and I know that the fish up there in northern Wisconsin will definitely eat big blades. And this wasn't supposed to be a big blade oh, yeah. commercial, but you know, I just. <laughs> I was just curious if that's something that you use because, I mean, I've definitely paid attention and you've been catching quite a few fish and, and I was, wasn't sure if maybe there was a little off off the beaten path technique that you were, you know, laying low to try to catch a couple extra fish. Well, you know, uh, just paying attention, you know, at the, at the end of the day, especially if, if you are in a tournament, those little things make the huge differences as to where you get back to the bar or whatever, you meet up that night with others that are competing and they go, oh, yeah, we saw a bunch of fish and okay, what happened? Well, we pulled the bait. Oh, you know, <laughs> okay, thank you. <laughs> but that's one of, one of the things that I've learned because I, I fish with a lot of people. Um, I fish with a lot of friends that I've, I even started muskie fishing with when we just got our driver's license. Jared Hanel is one of my close friends. We tournament fish together. We'll fish the bay. We'll do a lot of stuff like that. But, you know, I, I kind of know when he's got something going on, you know, reading him as a partner or a boat, somebody that I spent a lot of time in the boat with too. He'll just kind of like, Ooh, you, you can just tell the boat tenses up and 
boom, there's a fish and I'm grabbing the net for them. So, and that, that's something with guiding that I try and always do is, you know, give all these things, you know, always pay this much attention to this. My dad used to kid around with me all the time. Oh, look at the dead bird. Well, that's exactly when those muskies are going to hit. When you're not paying attention is when those fish are going to hit. And nine times out of 10, it happens. But there's not too much. I mean, there are a few baits that I run that, you know, they, they're just starting out on the market right now. And they are putting a lot of fish in the boat. But kind of how it goes. And then all of a sudden, you know, maybe they'll falter. But I always resort back to the things that work, you know. Double tens always work. Yeah. Nine tens, they work. You know, so Dan, obviously you're in a, a highly, you know, high destination spot, I would say. You I mean your area in northern Wisconsin, especially the last few seasons, has been, you know, the pressure's increased for sure. So if you're a new angler and you're coming up or if you've been up before, do you have any advice or do you have any starting spots where I mean cause there's a pile of lakes to pick from up there. I mean, everybody knows it. In northern Wisconsin, you can, you know, darn near throw a baseball and land it in a musky lake. That's about how bad it is. I mean, obviously, that's an exaggeration, but it's not too far off. So No, it's not at all. <laughs> you know, there's, there's a ton of lakes to pick. How do you go about helping somebody that's either new to the area or, or just looking to expand from where he was last year or the year before? You know, how do, how do you pick a lake, I guess? I guess one of the, the biggest things I would do is make sure you got a good lake map, break it down before you get up and, you know, kind of narrow it down to a couple lakes that you want to try out. We've got clear bodies of water. Those ones I'd fish when it's, you know, a little bit cloudier out, the darker bodies of water I would fish, you know, anytime, you know, you're not, you're not going to really have the the pressure of the sun beating down on it. I would, I would kind of look at it as, you know, I got to, I got to break this down. I want to make sure I see which way the wind's been blowing the days prior to, and then the days that I'm up there and just start working the areas that look good early in the season, you know, work the shallows, work the shallow North ends where the sun's really beating in those fish are moving around. And then as the season progresses, start dialing it back out, you know, get, get off the brakes, start pounding up into the weeds and then off the edges. And, you know, it, the area has a lot to, to offer that way. And, you know, make some phone calls, check around, see, see what the bite's going on. We've got a, got a ton of bait shops up here too. You know, if, if something's, if you were on a lake years prior to, and it's not what it was before, you know, try something different. The good thing up here is, we do have a great uh, Muskies Inc. chapter. Our president is up in St. Germain, and he works a lot with the DNR. So kind of look at the DNR stocking, too. We put a lot of time and effort into that. They ask, okay, how much will you donate to us so that we can do these improvements? And then they start working around lake density you know, that, that's a big factor too. If you, if you're going out, you want to see a bunch of fish, kind of see where that stocking report is. Yeah. I would say that's definitely good information. I think sometimes we've had Jordan Weeks on from the Wisconsin DNR and he said, you know, you can, you can find a biologist from any area. And I think that's one of those things that'd be underutilized probably as well as, you know, people just kind of talking to their local DNR before they come up to see, you know, like you said, stocking data, uh, that goes a long way. I used to do it all the time 
When I first started musky fishing, I'd come up to northern Wisconsin almost every weekend. Unfortunately, I lived like two hours away, so I would sometimes drive up Saturday morning early. I didn't have a place to stay up here. I was, I don't know, too stupid to get a motel or a hotel. I would drive back home, and then sometimes I'd come back up on Sunday. Now, keep in mind, gas wasn't $4 a gallon either, so yeah, I made it a little... Yeah, we, we, <laughs> we all were in our 20s once, too, where we could sleep in the truck and then just keep going and run off a Mountain Dew and just keep pounding. <laughs> yeah, well, and that you know, sometimes what we do is we would just you know, pull up somewhere in the middle of the day or we drop an anchor somewhere in the middle of the day and then we just hang out, you know, take a quick nap and then you're rejuvenated to to hit it again and you'd, you know, fish till dark and you'd drive back home or, you know, whatever we'd end up doing. Like I said, sometimes we'd drive home, we'd get home at like midnight and we'd turn right back around at like five o'clock in the morning. <laughs> it's dumb, just dumb stuff. But, and, yeah. and I used to look at stocking data all the time on these lakes. I would, there's a, uh, I'm trying to think of the name of the book. It's that Sportsman's Connection book, I think, would be one of them. Yeah. And that was, I had to use that early, you know, I was kind of dating myself a little bit because they didn't have all this information on the internet as much, you know. Yeah. They did. But yeah, now you can. Yeah. Now you, you can just can. go on the DNR site and type it in, Wisconsin Stocking, and it goes up for the species of fish, and you put in your county that you're going to be fishing in, and it comes up with the lakes. And obviously, you got to, you got to go back at least five, six years because it takes them that long to at least get that big to start catching them. But, you know, I've, I've seen it leaps and bounds. Our lakes have really started to turn around at lakes that were really good before that got a lot of pressure that unfortunately got harvested. They have turned around and it's a combination. The DNR is willing to work with the chapter and it's great. It, and that's one thing. If people aren't members of Muskie's Inc. in their area and they fish it, you know, check it out. It, it, it's worth it. Even if you can't make it to all the meetings or anything like that or on the water meetings, you got a year-end banquet, be part of it. it it's going to help everyone, even the people that are coming to your area to fish it. I, I'm i a full believer in Muskie's Inc. big time. Yeah, I know. I definitely you know, cut some checks to you know, a good handful of, uh, of them for stocking for that oh, reason, yeah. you know, so. Yeah. You even go, st- you've even gone and stocked with them too. Yeah. I think I actually am going to be heading south here in a couple weeks to stock, uh, I think like the Pewaukee, Okachi area, something like that. So definitely. Yeah. In That's all good fishing. For sure. All right. So Dan, I made a lake choice and it's, I started at 6am it's noon. I haven't seen or caught a fish. Is that something that you're going to continue down that path, or are you going to try to pick a new lake? You're going to try to pick new structure. What What's your layout for a day like that if you're if things are tough? Say I'm out fishing with a buddy and nothing's going on. I've hit all the areas that I've fished before that I've known that have produced fish. If I'm on dark water, I'm going to switch it up. I'll probably go hit some clearer water. You know, the the bites do change around here and our weather patterns get just as goofy as every place else. But I'll try something that, you know, maybe a lake that hasn't been been getting hit as hard or I'll wait until evening and then I might get a bite window then. If I'm say I'm guiding and I'm I've got a full day, nothing's going on, I'm definitely jumping lakes. I'm I'm not gonna stick around. I do I'll average two lakes, you know, in a full day. That way we can, you know, work all the, the spots and even then try other spots that are holding fish too. 
Yeah, I would say I've spent a fair amount of time up there with, you know, Jeff Vandermortel, and he's kind of on that same program. He's going to have at least two lakes in a day typically. And like I said, I think sometimes it's just to give everybody, you know, peace of mind, you know, start yep. starting fresh, especially if it's been tough. I would assume if he's on a pile of fish, if we caught five, I doubt he's leaving fish to find fish. But Yeah, that's that's the old adage of even tournament fishing, why leave him to find, find more. The only time that I've ever left fish is, you know, in the fall if, you know, yeah, we've already caught a couple fish and I say, hey, you want to go chase some tigers? Then I'll go, I'll move. But generally, if I've got enough suckers in the boat, I'm going to stick there and I'm going to keep trying to keep getting more fish in the boat. Another option, if you're on a lake and nothing's going on in that lake and you're, you fish the rivers around here, by all means, switch to a river, especially if, if it's hot, get to where some running water's at. You know, you might have a shot at some fish that are more active with oxygen. Well, that's the beautiful part about being up in that area is there's always moves to make, which I think sometimes can overwhelm people, you know. Yeah, it, it can. <laughs> you know, even myself, I mean, I'm I'm stuck in that too. And, you know, we'll be up, up on Labor Day. I always have a friend of mine come up, and my daughter's always up for Labor Day, and she wants to usually fish the entire weekend, sometimes weekends in the summer she's not so much about always fishing if it's nice out she wants to go she doesn't care as much about fishing she wants to go and get on the pontoon boat and go swimming but oh, yeah. know, labor day uh, usually swimming's over up there and so she you know she wants to fish my buddy wants to fish and i'm stuck in that whole thing like okay do i fish this lake do i fish that lake you know i'm going through that it's a constant battle you know trying to, fig- yeah. to figure it all out it can be tougher you know i i, I mean it's good that we have lots of choices but it also can you know like i said it can overwhelm anglers especially newer ones and i'm not even so new and it can still overwhelm me sometimes well one of the positive things is is the networking ability being i'm in my 10th year of guiding i have other guides that i you know talk with i talk with schaefer quite a bit you know he's over in that tomahawk area obviously we'll fish the same bodies of water i bounce things off of him and he bounced things off of me you know it networking is a huge thing so you know say your your friend was up a week ago or a couple days ago they don't have to tell you exactly what bait they caught them on but hey what was the pattern what was going on but as far as guides we we try and work with each other to make sure that everybody's doing the same thing you know everybody's catching fish we're all that's probably one of the the coolest things about the sport too is work with others Uh, it it doesn't hurt to ask some people might say you know hey I, I'm not going to tell you that, but like I, my seminars, I'll tell guys, Hey, if something's coming on or something's going on, you're coming up for a tournament. I'll tell you kind of what we're catching fish on. Obviously not exactly, but you got to be able to give a little bit. Otherwise it's just, we, we all, we all promote baits. You should at least be able to go, Hey, this bait is actually working. Well, I think on the backside of that, Dan, it, you know, if you really think about it, if people just hired a guide, a lot of times that guide is going to point them in the right direction. If you're with a quality guide, they're really, really concerned about them catching fish. And, and that's the bottom line. So, you know, if you have a week trip and you can get in that boat with a guide day one, day two, day three, it could make the difference for your whole week of fishing. It absolutely does. Yeah. And that that's one of the things that I even 
you know, throughout the year I fish up here, I'll go fish on green Bay. I'll, I'll fish with friends, but I'll hire guides. You know, there are certain things that everybody does something just a little bit differently. You know, take for instance, I fished with Kurt Schultz a couple of years ago. I learned things from him that I can do differently. It sounds crazy because you know, you, you, you're a guide. A lot of people think everything is this cut and dry, but it isn't there. There are some really cool things to learn from people that are doing it. Hiring a guide before you come up on a vacation does help. I, I've, I'm a firm believer on that too. All right. So Dan, one question we've asked in numerous podcasts and it's been super sporadic, but as we get back into musky fishing season for everybody that has quote unquote seasons, you know, the question would be, if somebody's looking to help put more fish in the net this early season, what's one tip you can offer up? I would definitely say smaller crankbaits, some twitch baits, gliders, warlocks. They're an amazing bait, great company, great people that make them. Tara and Daryl are amazing. Make sure you've got sharp hooks. That is the number one thing. Make sure they're good and sticky and pay attention. Paying attention is big too. On a side note, I, I didn't have Dan fire up about Warlocks, but I'll uh, shameless plug. We just got a whole bunch of them in. They've been really difficult to be uh, to get in our hands on for like the last six months. And so if you're listening to this podcast right now, we have a bunch of them. If you want the mag size and the regular size, we have you covered. So yeah, I appreciate you setting that one up for me, Dan. That was a, that was a well, good way. <laughs> there, it's a bait that I use. I mean, I'm, I'm definitely... They're great. They're really great paints. Absolutely. So Dan, I want to thank you for taking time out of your schedule on a Sunday night and spending, you know, 45 minutes or an hour talking musky fishing with us. If somebody wants to learn more about your guide service or they want to get in touch with you because they, you know, want to head up to the Rhinelander area and book a trip, how do they go about doing that? Uh, you can check me out on Facebook under Graf's Guide Service or shoot me a call at 715-360. 1601 or even look me up on online at www.cropsguideservice.com i've got my rates my availabilities on there too uh shoot me a call pick a date out and we can go out musky fishing and thank you guys so much this has truly been a fun fun experience yeah we just want to thank you for taking time out of your schedule i know that you know, this time of year, it's not quite as busy for everybody. You know, well, I mean, you, you're still working a full-time job, so you're still, you know, busy in the off-season, but guides are a little easier to come by usually in April yet. It's when we get to yeah. May, June, July, and August, that's when things get a little bit tougher. Everybody's on the water. Everybody's schedules are a little bit harder to get, so it's a little oh, yeah. It's a little more of a scramble to get this taken care of. Usually, we I'm, I'm already prepping for this season, going through baits, making sure all the rods and reels are all set up, so... It's a never-ending process. Absolutely. So, Dan, thanks again for, for coming on, spending some time talking musky fishing with us. Hopefully we can do this again sometime. We also want to thank all of our listeners for taking time out of their schedule to come out and put up with us for another episode. And we'll see everybody again with a new one next week. <laughs>